Welcome to the Hope United Church Podcast. We are one church with two locations. For video live streams of our services and more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Well, last week I spoke about being salt and light, and I'm sure on Sunday you would have been salt and light. And I'm sure on Monday uh, you were still salty and light, and that would have been good. Then Tuesday, Wednesday, coronavirus expert again. Thursday, hypochondriac. Oh, this, is a, this is a minefield for hypochondriacs, you know. They're, they're having a field day. They're having permission no, uh, so then we get into Wednesday, we're back into coronavirus, Thursday, obsession, Friday, you're going to kill the kids again, salt and light's gone. Uh, and that will be the case for many of us, and this is why we need to stay planted in the house, that we realign ourselves again. I'm sending posts out, many people are, about books to read, and that's as much as, it's as beneficial to me as it will be to you, because it, it helps me to maintain what my main purpose is, as, uh, as some of us have cabin fever and all sorts, uh, of what's happening, you know, last week we were, we were in a different world, and then now we're in more lockdown and uh, more things are shutting. There's more uncertainty, more trials, more challenges, more struggles, more isolation, more temptation, less accountability, way, way less accountability, less external living, and I don't mean externally in flesh, I mean outside, and less need to be salt and light, therefore. More frustration, I'm sure. More doubt, more uncertainty, more financial insecurity for sure. Uh, and that is, as that kicks in, job insecurity, many people have lost their job or about to lose their job or they're laid off for a period of time with so much uncertainty. More tension in the home. No, it's maybe the, the, the honeymoon period may be a bit over. Uh, no, for the kids because they're still in they're still in party mode. But I even heard uh, speaking to some kids in the video, some of my friends' kids in videos this week, and the ones that even hate school are actually saying, "Oh, you know what? I, I wish I was at school." You know, God does amazing things in all situations. You know, uh, I was talking to Zach, uh, one of the leaders' kids. It was his birthday yesterday, and I say, "And Zach hates school," and I says, "Zach, I says, eh." You still enjoy no business? Because actually, and that's what he's very words. He's like, actually, this was on his birthday too. Actually, I, I wouldn't mind going back. So that, that's a miracle in itself there. Uh, so uh, less, less space, less space, less normality, more health, paranoia, as I mentioned. I'll not go there again. Well, more normal for some. Uh, more, more boredom. You hear the word boredom? I never use the word boredom. It's kind of self-centred word, but you're hearing it. Less personal time, less exercise, less fresh air, less fellowship, less friendship, less unity, less discipline, more mentero. What? No, I didn't mean to write that. More mentero. That that needs to go. Uh, yet, yet, Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that all things work together for good 
to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And that's the message title for this morning. All things for good, all things for good. Uh, and and, and just, I'm just going to break this down and we're going to get through this a bit more depth. We know that all things, and there's specific words in this, all things working together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now that does not mean that all things in essence are good. They are not. We live in a fallen world. However, God uses all those things for good. So in essence, they are in harmony, if you like, with God's sovereign reign and plan. And we the redeemed, we the redeemed will greatly, greatly benefit from it. That's the promise. This is the amazing thing. This is the amazing uh, benefit that we have as believers that we're going to have great breakthrough from trials and difficulties and situations uh, we will flourish and grow more and the image through it. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So you take my list, what I've said, add some of your own list, and then ask, what are the things that will be used for good what will be used for good during bad things and during uncertain times and during trials and during affliction? What will we learn? What will we discover? What's the possibilities of what we will learn and discover? What is God going to do? Is maybe the question some of are asking. What is God up to at this point? What does that look like? How can we know what we're learning. Well, for a start, it says that all things, and that's the first one, all things. That means everything. Every day I hear someone or another, even some so-called Christians, God is, you know, everybody's an expert on what's happening in the, at this moment in time. God is uniting us. You hear that? He is building solidarity. He has drawn humanity together. He's teaching us harmony. The list goes on. For a believer, all things for good has a whole other purpose and meaning. And yes, that may include a form of some of the above of unity, solid. I may have a form of that, but there is something way more important at stake. He is using all things to shape us into more like Christ and fulfill and complete his work in us. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He who started a work in us will complete his work in us. He who came in the Spirit will finish the work in the Spirit. Why do I say this? Well, like many in the church in Galatia, if you... Uh, recall Paul's letters to the church in Galatia, they started out with a declaration of God, but then ran their life on their own will and went back to man's ideas. Galatians 4.9. But now after, this is what Paul wrote, 
to the church in Galatia. But now after you have known God, or rather known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements? You turn to something lesser, to which you desire again to be in bondage, having heard Christ, but then turn to something lesser. A bit like the pragmatic church, they profess God, but then ignore all his teachings and turn to their own non-biblical ideas and ways to walk through life. Which doesn't produce more sanctification. I've been, as time in my hands, been debating with different pragmatics and you hear this as, well, my idea and what I think and what I'm thinking and here's some tools for life. And I'm thinking, having heard Christ, but then ignoring it, and going back to beggarly, weaker things in order to fulfill your life. And we can be in that danger as believers that we can have Christ, believe Christ, love Christ, confess Christ. And then in this situation, go back to other things to find comfort. Now, it doesn't even need to be this COVID-19 issue. This can be in our life all the time. How many is but? Because we're in this season, how many of us are not reading our word more? Oh, but you do know how somebody by doing this will get the flu and how many people will have the flu here and how many people, and you're like, you are an expert in that, but somehow you're looking to something lesser at this moment in time to bring comfort. And at the mo maybe in your mind you're thinking, well, I'm not trying to look for comfort. Well, yeah. Um, and it does not produce more sanctification, that's for sure. Oh, you know what? The more I know about this COVID virus, your sanctification's working its way in my life amazingly. But it returns us to drawing in the flesh and carnal ideas. And, and this is why all things work together for good. And if you're a believer, truly, true, and this is, I hope by the end of this message, and I know how it ends, no, I, I hope you're left really encouraged about who we are as believers and, and in this situation and in dilemmas and trials and affliction, not just here for our life, how they greatly work for the good for our life. Uh, let me say this does not mean we'll, we'll never be disobedient. Or that times we won't drift into sin. We will because even although we are saved, it does not mean we are complete. So back to Romans, all things working together for good also means all things working for completion. Or all things working to a completion of that which God started in you. And that's so encouraging. That means there is a completion process and trials and affliction and tests and hardship in these difficult times because why all things work for good for your sanctification for your growth for your spiritual maturity if all things are for good then all things are under his providence if all things are good it means all things are under his control and grip. So let's look at what this current situation and trials and other trials that you may be facing or faced in your life and, and trying times of affliction. And let's look at how they're being used for good. What is the master potter? 
doing in your life at this point? And what can we look forward to when that work is done? Let me start by saying or quoting Thomas Watson. I've been doing book reviews and uh, I've done a book review yesterday of Thomas Watson's All Things Were Good, which uh, inspired me again yesterday and then has uh, more inspired me to bring this message. Uh, we often learn, this is Thomas Watson says, the, the Puritan Thomas Watson, 17th century, says, we often learn more from a sick bed than a sermon. He added, in prosperity, we are in most part strangers to ourselves. How good is that? When things are going well, you don't really get a true flavour of who you are. You don't get a true idea and identity of who you are. We're in most part strangers to yourself during prosperity. It is in affliction that God leads us to truly knowing oneself. It's in affliction that we can truly line our life up and compare it to that of Christ. It is during trying times all our ugliness comes out, is it not? And we don't even just mean COVID-19, we just mean any times of trial. Our selfishness, all our insecurities, unhealthy obsessions, all that we find security in, that all gets challenged during affliction. If you read Job, you can draw so many parallels from that. God has called you. You have accepted that call. Now he will complete that call. And that means exposure to what's known line. Every branch, you know, it says in John, every branch that does not produce fruit, God will cut. And everyone that does, he will continually cultivate that it will produce more. That is a promise to all who are in the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So during affliction, your lack of surrender will show. Your corrupt, warped, sinful past will permeate your new nature or your new man. Ephesians 2, Ephesians 4, sorry, 22 to 24, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to his deceitful lusts, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So you could say, well, if he's going to complete it, why am I doing the work? If he's going to complete it, why am I doing the work? Well, it's both. You didn't know you were corrupt until God showed you. Before you get saved, you didn't know how corrupt and how degenerate you were until God showed you, until you seen the truth. So God is like, the best way to describe it is, is like God is the tailor. And you go in and, he puts on this new suit on you. But he's the tailor. He's tailoring it and he's putting it on you. And you have to then put it on. Everything that God's got in store for you. Another thing trials and troubles bring is they show us how unlike Christ we are at times. In fact, during affliction, we see more than any other time how much more self-centered we are. Yet also that good is the God shown us how wonderfully sacrificial Jesus was, even during trials and persecution. 
The bad is good because we see how good God is and then how we can draw from that. That's why the apostles could face such hardship because they testified to know nothing. But Christ and him crucified, his endurance and their understanding and focus on his all-enduring, all-serving, all-loving surrender allowed them to endure. Look how Peter, and this is an important illustration here, look how Peter talked before an understanding of the depths of Christ's suffering and sacrifice to after his understanding grew. This is this will help you draw how this operates and in turn how, hand, how he handled suffering and affliction himself after knowing how much Jesus suffered. So Matthew 16, 21 to 23, this is, this is pre, this is, this is pre all things. All things working together for good. So this is Peter, early days, all things. There's not, all things have not been accomplished yet in Peter's life. He's very early days and it says, from that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside. Don't you love this? You've heard me preaching this many times. Then Peter took him aside and began to book him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This is Jesus Peter pulling Jesus aside to correct him about he'll not be suffering. For far be it from you, Lord, that you, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offence to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, which you this, but the things of men. In the early days of our affliction and our struggles and trials, we think like men. And part of the sanctifying process is to stop us thinking like men during troubles. Hear what Peter thought like after all things. Which hear this. So 1 Peter 4.13, way down, way, way down the line. Few years later. This is after all things working. Peter says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. Do you see the difference? That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceedingly joy. Whoa! Before he knew Jesus' suffering and understood Jesus' sacrifice, he could only see his own issues from a worldly, fleshy, man-centered perspective. Yet when he knew and had a deep awareness of Christ's suffering and sacrifice that came through his own, Peter's own suffering and sacrifice as well, He's seen his afflictions in a Christ-like way. Before that, upstream, he couldn't even see Jesus' sufferings in a Christ-like way. By the end of this completion, all things working for good, he's seen his own afflictions in a Christ-like way and then responded accordingly. You see, without affliction, we as believers can't grow like Christ. And can't compare our Lord to ourselves. Nor do we see the great love he has for us. You know, affliction lets us see the great love he has for us. We must point believers and personally look to Christ's sufferings and sacrifice during our own sufferings. That's why Apostle Paul testified to know nothing. 
when he was amongst us, except Christ and Christ crucified. Heard somebody saying, oh, that was just his, uh, his strategy. It's not his strategy, it's his whole life. To become like Christ during trials is God's way of making us like him. To become like Christ during trials. This is God's way of making us like him and preparing us for future persecution. When we boldly declare the gospel. If you can't handle anything, you're no looking to what our Lord handled and endured. During trials, we end up looking to him. We are looking at our own loss, our own desires, issues, insecurities, all rising to the floor. So his suffering is a measure to our flesh that becomes a comfort to our affliction. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we were, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne room of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. So affliction and trials and testing times are God's way of burning that the residue of sin that's still lingering in our lives in so many areas of life. But mostly here in our head and our thinking and our mindsets. So let's, let's, let's add another good during testing times and trials. It forces us to get more separation from the world. It forces us to get more separation from the world. The world becomes more worldly during affliction. And the believer will be forced to get into deeper communion. As we lose more control, we cry out all the more. The less things work the more we need his guiding hand. You're not relying on what you used to. You're not able to rely on what you used to. We are forced as believers, draw, drawn as believers, into crying out. What used to fill you and feed you now has no nourishment because you're not getting it the same. Whatever. Uh, what, often during the refining process, God cuts the source that comforted you. I'll say that again. Often in difficult times and during the refining process, God cuts the source that wants just to comfort you. Money would comfort you. Work colleagues, certain things would comfort you. Material things would comfort you. So many things would comfort you. Yet God seems to have cut the source of that comfort. You know, in, in jobs life, God cut. Oh, he permitted the devil, let, let's cut the, no, even the devil says, the reason Job is the way he is, because he's got all this stuff to hide behind. God cuts all his comforts out. And if, if you feel that you are, things are getting cut out your life at this moment in time, God is the source, is cutting them out so that they will not bring comfort to your life, so the only thing that will bring comfort is him, and that will draw you to him, and bring a deeper sanctifying process that will lead through, and the Holy Romans 8 is about that, after you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, nothing else does for a true believer, there's a statement in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I was part of that, it says that it ruins your drinking, when I found out, I was okay, 
It never ruined my drinking. And then it said in Alcoholics Anonymous, which they're right, it says, once you've been and once you've heard and then you keep drinking, it ruins it because every taste tastes like Alcoholics Anonymous. It, it ruins, it wastes your drinking and, and the Lord wastes your fleshy comforts. He wastes them, he ruins them. He makes them worthless. They can't pursue worldliness with any confidence. No believer can pursue worldliness with any confidence. The reason I say that is many will still grapple. You may be a believer thinking, I'm still pursuing worldly comforts. Yeah, you'll be grappling with the notion, but even then, you know it's sinful. That's why you do it secretive. <laughs> That's why you do it cunningly. That's why you do it manipulatively. But you can't do it with any form of conviction if you're a believer and for God's elect, he will cut that source. And if you can keep pursuing it, here's a wee bit scary here. If you can keep pursuing it and think it's all right and are willing to embrace it and live for it and continue to want it above Christ, I have to challenge you if you're a new creation or if you're saved. And that may challenge you, but that's challenge it needs. See, you're... You see, your trials and affliction and all things magnify our values and desires. I'll say that again. Your trials and affliction and all things magnify our values and desires. We can sinless, sinless our way into heaven or sin our way into hell. All will depend on our salvation. One will be heading towards more sinless life and towards heaven. And the other will lead to sin more and hell. Okay, consider this when we think of all things for good. Trials of fiction. It silences the enemy and makes them squirm and know God is in charge. Have you thought of that? As we grow, we endure we turn the other cheek. We become more able to withstand persecution, hardship, pain, rejection, slander, financial trouble, gossip. Affliction leads us to think and act like Christ during trials. James says, the book of James, James 1, 2 and 3, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Is maybe one of the greatest blows to the enemy is when we endure trials, yet still give God glory. Satan was devastated when Job lost all his riches and all his possessions and yet still praised God. Now much more of the world may not be impressed that when you endure hardship, in fact, the world's not necessarily impressed at all when you produce hardship because they don't see it as God sees it and how as a believer sees it. But God is impressed and he's impressing upon you. And do you know who's impressed? The elect who have yet to be called. The elect have yet to be called are deeply, deeply moved by a believer's ability 
to endure hardship. And there's a bonus. Here's a bonus. If, the, if we ever need a bonus, here's a bonus. It frees you from the grip of people approval and people acceptance. I'm so grateful for the abuse. I can say this today. When I'm in it, I'm not saying it, but I can say, honestly say this today. And I've been able to say it for a while now. I am grateful for the abuse I've received because it's led me to getting freer than ever. Actually, seeing ever I could have thought possible. If you ever says, I just want to be free from what people think of me. I want to get free from approval addiction. I want to get free from the disease. To please. All things working for good will do that. Like freer than ever I thought possible from what people think of me. What got me freer than ever from what people think of me? Persecution. Slander, gossip, abuse. It has silenced the wicked from speaking into my heart. They may keep shouting, but I can only hear the words of Christ. How amazing is that? You'll face people in some of you on this journey, church family, brothers, sisters in Christ. I know your walk and I know your trials and I know the things that you've went through and I know how you've been able to silence the voices in your heart as you keep on crying out to God. And people are astonished. Why are you no fighting back? Why are you no arguing? Why are you able to face that? Because of this process and it'll get better and better and better and better. How amazing is that? Somebody should be doing a, a, a stand-up applause in their living room at the moment. Remember, if they hate you, they hated me first. This is the words that we cry to people who are sanctified. It's no longer poor me and why me and it's no fair and it's just no right. And why are they getting it and I'm not? They're getting paid and I'm not. They've got a job and I've not. Their kids behave and minds don't. Remember, if they hate you, they hated me first. It's, it's not you they hate, it's Christ in you they hate. And you know that through this process. All working for good. Okay, we really need to bring this in. And let me say, as we won't have time to get into it, Bad works for good when bad things happen to good people is the modern philosophy of that statement. But, uh, but there are also good works for good. If all things are working for good, it's not just bad it's working for good. There's good at what's working for good. What about forgiveness? What about the forgiveness you received? Is that no good? And did that no work for good? Them who have been forgiven much, love much. Because... You understand forgiveness. When we love God, that good wants us to be loving to others, especially our brothers. The good of forgiveness and a revelation of that forgiveness makes us more forgiven. We know wrong. We shun evil. We cling to what is good. As the martyr Stephen says in the book of Acts, the first Disciple to be martyred, not an apostle. It says, 
As the martyr Stephen said, forgive them, Father. Think of this, how Stephen operated. Forgive them, Father. This is after preaching the gospel, arguing with Saul, who became Apostle Paul. Forgive them, Father, and don't charge it against them. Where'd you hear this? This is what Stephen says. Forgive them, Father, and don't charge it against them. It's an axe somewhere. How could he say that? How could Stephen say that? How could he say that? Because as a believer, he knew Jesus done that and said the exact same thing. Now, Stephen was no there when Jesus said that. But John was, and he told Stephen. John was, and he told Stephen. And that's what gave him the ability to do that. That's why good is also working for good. So Stephen would have a life in his name. That's why they say it, that you would have life in his name. And certainly Stephen had life in his name. John spoke it. John wrote it. These things are written that you would have life in his name. And I profess that and declare that to you, Stephen, that this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus done when he faced persecution. And he presents that to Stephen through his transformed life, through his sanctification, through his purification, through his glorification, he's able to say the exact same thing. Good was working for good. Oh, I feel like... You would think I was in a room full of people here. I'm getting excited. All things is, all things good, bad and different and significant. It's all working for us to make us more like Christ. Okay, let's bring it in. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called. Thomas Watson again says this, they are two calls. Quote, an outward call that may lead men to professing Christ and an inward call in our hearts that leads men to possessing Christ. Oh man, you want to get that, you want to put that on your, your wall, don't you? End quote. This scripture in Romans all refers to the latter. Everyone will hear God. Not everyone will hear him speak and hear that call in their hearts. So there'll be no excuse. On the love part, we love because he first loved us. So our love comes from him choosing us. And we love God for choosing us. And he chose us, add to this, and he chose us because he knew we would love him. His sheep hear him and follow him. Equally means his sheep hear him and love him. God's love has been poured over us and we who are called love him for that. Not just by that. We've seen his love. We experienced his forgiveness. Our love became so powerful through that revelation. Can you remember that, brothers and sisters, when you get saved back at that point? I cannot believe that he loves me. I cannot believe of all the people in the world that he chose me. Many are called but few are chosen. 
when I got saved, that was the words that resonated my mind and I, had, I knew nothing about scripture really. And somebody says, do you want anything to say, Mark? This was after I got saved by God's grace. I says, many are called, but few are chosen. And this Armenian, at the time I did not know that, this Armenian, I, I, I don't want to say any superlatives here, I'll just call it that. Right? He says, be quiet. We're all chosen. That's not true. That's so not true. Because we know them who have been chosen, we the redeemed. That's why we love. That's why we're in awe when we get chosen. We cannot believe, why me? Why me? And that's why we love. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And that overwhelmed us when we found it. Did it not? Did it not overwhelm you when you found it? When you get the revelation that well you were still a sinner. You remember that revelation? You remember that moment when God didn't just speak to, to, to your ear through, through a horn. But actually spoke into your very heart. And you knew that well you were still a sinner. He died for you. And because of that we cry out Abba Father. We love you God. We love you. Lastly, all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And for the last couple of purpose, here's the modern church. What's my purpose? What's your dream? What's the purpose? Why am I here? What's, what am I born for? What's my call? I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a guru. What's that purpose? Okay, you better take notes here because this is deep. Okay, you ready for us? To save you. To save you. That's the purpose. To be saved. To save us. What's the purpose of God for our life? To save us. And to bring us into communion with them in heaven. That's why the apostles didn't need to deviate from what they preached. They preached the gospel, the good news, as Jesus says. <laughs> the anointing is upon me. He preached the good news to set captives free. It was his purpose and then it's her purpose. To have communion with him in heaven. What's my purpose in life? To have communion with Christ in heaven. To be saved for the very foundation of the earth. It was your purpose for those who have been saved. The next two verses explain it. Wait till this. this is, just in case you're wondering, no, that's not it. Well, the next two verses explain it in Romans 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew from the foundation of the earth, he also predestined. Meaning he knew he was going to call you and save you. This is, this is the doctrine of predestination. Salvation through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. It's not by works, not anything that you could do. It's the gift of God. It's not a meaning that I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to do that. If it was left to any of us, I'm sure you know you would never be saved. 
For those whom he foreknew, he, pre he also predestined to become conformed to the image of the Son. This is the process. This is the sanctifying process. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. How amazing is that? And these whom he predestined, he also called. Here's the purpose. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's the purpose. And then how do we respond as a close here? How then do we respond? What is your response as a believer at this time? What should our response be as a believer during these difficult, unprecedented times in light of this verse and in light of this chapter and in light of these verses? What should our response be? How should we be living? How should we be thinking? What should we be saying? What should we be posting? How should we be the light and the salt and light to people's life? Where does our confidence come from? Based on all this. Well, the next verse says, what then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Because all things are working together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If God is for us, who can be against us? Church, brethren, brothers, sisters in Christ, this is God shaping your life to become more like Christ. That's why we can say praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Hope United. You can stay connected with us through our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages. 